Good morning. Good morning, everyone. It is a blessing to be here in this spot. Uh, we thank the Lord that he gives us this privilege to, to bring the word. Um, <clears throat> and very quick, I'll invite you to open your, with the word of God. And, and you're going to be surprised when I tell you where. It's Mark 1.1, 1, 1, but I'm going to tell you why. Mark chapter 1, verse 1. Um, confession. I was getting ready for verses chapter 1, verse, uh, I believe it's 21 to 39. Uh, I was getting ready. It's, it's all about the, the authority and the power of our, our Lord Jesus Christ over the, the host of hell. Uh, all of the hosts of hell, uh, demons, the devil, and, and beautiful and I was, I was getting into it. But when the series started in Mark, I started, I, started, uh, reading, I started reading about Mark, and the story of Mark took me. And as I was preparing for the, for the sermon and, and the verses that they gave me, his story kept on bouncing on my head. So we're going to preach on the story of Mark. We've already been introduced into the, into the book, but if you allow me, I am just going to, I, it, it blessed me. It blessed me because I could relate to Mark, and I think you could too. So we're going to talk about Mark, all right? So I'll, we're going to read the text. We're going to read the text, but we're going to go into, uh, we're going to get into, into that. Amen? Amen. I, think you'll, I think you'll be blessed like I was blessed. And we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna name the uh, uh, the, the the title of the uh, of the message is an inconceivable hero, an inconceivable hero. All right. So verse one says, "In the beginning, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God." That is it. That is it. Let's pray. Thank you, blessed Father. Thank you for this opportunity you uh, you given me to preach your word. I don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. But I thank you because you choose, you choose me, Lord. Uh, not because of what I am or who I am. In spite of that, you choose me, and I thank you. Help me to bring your word just the way you want it to, Lord. Uh, that it may be a, 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 a edifying, an edifying word to you people. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Back in... Uh, the year 2012, a uh, hundred years, just a hundred years uh, before the, uh, or, or after the, the, the tragedy of the Titanic. Everybody knows about the Titanic, right? A um, hundred years after the Titanic sunk, an Italian cruise line uh, ship called the Costa Concordia ran aground on the Italian coast, and the collision uh, uh, was so hard, it was, he hit a rock under the, under the, 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 the sea. Um, he made a huge hole on the, on, the, on the side of the ship. Immediately, water started rushing in into the sheep, into the, not the sheep, the ship. So much water that it tilted that it tilted the ship to one side, to the starboard side. And the people inside there, the, the, the people inside that were aboard, they were trapped in there. And it was making it difficult for the life rafts and all of that to, to, bring, to, bring, to bring them out. Uh, and even though, even though only, only 33 people died in that, in that tragedy, uh, and I say only 33 because in the, in the Titanic, uh, uh, 1,514 people died, so it's Comparable, it's, you can't compare, right? But still, 33 people die. The thing about this story is that it made headlines. It made headlines uh, because of the, of the captain's attitude of cowardice. And not only that, is that he was responsible. He was responsible for the accident. He intentionally went off course from the course they have given him. Intentionally, he went off course. He went too close, too close to the coast. And under, there was a huge rock and hit the rock. And then he did the unthinkable. What, did, what, what was the unthinkable that a, a captain? 
he abandoned the ship. He abandoned the ship. And he gave the, he gave the excuse that as one of the rafts, because there were some other there were some uh, uh, um, life-saving boats that were there, that he tripped and he fell into the and he fell into the uh, he fell into the the, the 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 life raft. Right? That's the excuse he gave. And even though an officer an officer that, that was there, he kept on resisting and said, "You have to go back. You have to come back. You have to go back. There's people. There were people there." There were still people in, in the ship, aboard the ship, but uh, he was just afraid. He was just afraid. Full of fear, he abandoned, the, uh, he abandoned his post. He abandoned the ship. And I mention this story because uh, 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 this man would be completely the opposite of a hero, right? Completely the opposite of a, of a hero. A hero, by definition, is a person who doesn't flee in the time of difficulty. It's a matter of fact, he faces difficulty with courage. And even though he may lose his life in that difficulty, he stays there. Right? So this man is completely, completely the opposite. Uh, just completely the opposite of a hero. And the story I'm about to tell you about uh, 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 Mark, we're going to see a story that, of, of a man that he's a hero, but he's an, he is the inconceivable hero, inconceivable, inconceivable hero. Because even though this man showed weakness, he showed cowardice, he shows failure, he shows all of that, the Lord rescued him. And made a testimony of tragedy to a testimony of triumph, courage, and hope. And his life gives us hope. The, life, the, the testimony of Mark. And he shows that God, what God can do, that's why I said I could relate to Mark. What God can do with a weak, feeble man. And it's beautiful. Beautiful. He makes, us, he makes, he makes heroes out of those people, right? Yes, he does. So let's look at uh, uh, who Mark was. Uh, when we read the first verse, the, when, we when we read the first verse, obviously we don't, see, we don't see his name there. And actually we don't see, and any authors of the, of the Gospels, we don't see their name there. None of them. None of them mentioned their name. Uh, they, they, were, they, they were the authors of, of their Gospel. Matthew, Matthew, you, it, it, it write, he writes about his conversion. It appears, his conversion appears in his Gospel, but he never, ever says he's the author of that book, of, of the book of Matthew. Luke, John, and Mark, they never give the authorship to their, to their gospel. And I think it gives the, the indication of the, of the fact that the author, the authors wanted to give all the glory to Christ. They wanted to give all the glory to Christ. They wanted to stay hidden. They wanted to stay hidden. Hitting them, so he hit them, they hid themselves to give, the sto to give the story of the one who deserves all the glory, which is our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? However, however, even though we don't see their names, we know without a shadow of a doubt that Mark wrote his gospel, Matthew wrote his gospel, Luke wrote his gospel, and, and John wrote his, uh, his too. Uh, and that's the universal testimony of the, of the early church. So we know for certain that Mark wrote this gospel. But let's meet Mark. Now, the first time we see Mark, we see, we see him. We see him in the book of Acts in chapter 12. And we got to go there. We got to go there. Acts chapter 12. But first, I'm, I'm going to give you a, a little bit of history because this is so interesting. It is, is the historical settings within that. The, uh, chapter 12 of, of the book of Acts is a very, a very important point of transition. Very important point of transition. The, the Gospels, all four Gospels, end with the death, resurrection of Christ. And his story ends right there with his, with, on earth. It, it ends right there. The book of Acts picks up the story of Christ, the 40 days that, he stayed, that he's, he's on earth, the last 40 days that he's here, picks up the story there, right? Uh, spending 40 days after his re resurrection, teaching his disciples about all that is pertaining to the kingdom. That's what it says. They had to be ready, right? 
They had to be ready. They were going to take, they were going to take the gospel to the, to the ends of the earth. So they, they had to be ready for the commission. Chapter 1, verse, uh, chapter 1 of Acts, verse 8 says, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and you be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. So he was, they were getting ready. So the Holy Spirit comes, <clears throat> empowers them for the ministry, and the gospel is launched. It's launched. The first 12 chapters gives us the story of the gospel in Judea, Samaria, and Jerusalem, right? And who's the main preacher there? Peter is the, Peter is the main preacher there. Peter. He's the main one. He's the, he's the powerful preacher right there in the first 12, 12, uh, uh, 12 chapters there. And he's bringing the gospel to Samaria, Judea, Judea and, and Jerusalem, the main preacher. But in the second half... From chapter 13 on, when the gospel is taken to the, order, to the uttermost uh, part of the earth, who is the main preacher there? Paul is the main preacher there. Amen. Both fulfilling the mandate uh, from chapter uh, 1, verse 8, right? It was going to go to Judea, Samaria, and, and Jerusalem, and then to the uttermost, uttermost part, part of, the, of the world. They're fulfilling the mandate. Here, chapter 12, Peter is about to fade away. Peter is about to fade away, and, and, and the Apostle Paul is about to come up and shine, right? He's coming up to take the, take the gospel to the uttermost part of the earth. So we come to chapter 12, verse 1, and I got to give you the story fast. Yes. And the, verse, and, and the first verse starts with this, with this line. Now, about that time. That's how it starts the verse 1, right? And of chapter 12. <clears throat> what time that was? Well, chapter 11, verse 27 tells us what time was that. They says that some prophets came down from Jerusalem, uh, from, uh, from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them named Agabus stood up and began to indicate by the Spirit there, was a gr there would be a great famine coming to the, all, over the, all over the world. So it was determined that they would send a contribution for the relief of the brethren living in Judea. So they were coming from Antioch to Judea and they, because, of, because of this prophecy there, there was going to be a famine all over the world and they decided to pick up an offering, a gift to bring it to the relief of these uh, this brothers here on the people in, that lived in, in, in Judea, right? And they sent, they sent uh, in charge of that uh, uh, Barnabas and Saul, which it was Paul. So that's the time. And it's, a, it's about the year 45 uh, after the death of Christ, A.D. And at that particular time, the persecution was heavy. King Herod uh, Agrippa, a, a, a crazy man, was persecuting the church. And at this time, he had killed, he had killed um, uh, James, the brother of John. He had killed them. And since he wanted to stay in power... Since he wanted to stay in power, he wanted to stay in favor with the Jews. So he got killed one. Now the Jews were completely against the church, right? So they were, they, they were against the church. He wanted to stay in favor with them. So he said, I killed one. They enjoyed it. I'm going to kill another one. So he grabs Peter. Grabs Peter and he puts him in jail. He, he puts, puts him in jail. Verse 2, <clears throat> he says that. He saw that they had pleased the, uh, the, the, them, and he went, he went after Peter with the intention to kill him. Now, it says that he grasped Peter, and he puts four squads to watch over Peter, meaning those four squads, uh, it, was, it was to be a 24-hour watch. Each squad had six hours to, to, keep, to keep him watch. It was a 24-hour. They guarded him. And then they had, they had him chained as well. Uh, verse 6 tells us that he was chained to two soldiers, right? Interesting. He was in the middle of two soldiers, chained, chained to each one of them. And in front of, the, in front of the jail cell, there was two other ones watching. You're talking about overkill. Absolutely. But he really wanted to kill, he really wanted to kill Peter, right? <clears throat> 
And it says that that very night that Herod was thinking about getting him out, something happened. Something happened. And verses 7 to 9 tells us what happened. What are they? And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in, in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, dress yourself and put your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know what was being done by the angel. Was being, uh, what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. And he went out and followed him. And he did not know what was going on <clears throat> done by the angel. The same, I'm, I'm reading the same thing. But this is what happened there. The angel comes down, takes him out. <clears throat> the interesting thing about this uh, uh, that, that I, I found about this particular scene is that Peter is dead asleep. Now, I'm thinking about this, right? And I'm, I'm putting myself in that situation. How would I have been? How would you, how would you been? Sleeping? Sleeping? I don't think so. <laughs> I would be crying. How am I going to get out of here? Peter knew. Peter knew it wasn't too many days before they had already killed uh, uh, James. But the Bible tells us he was dead asleep. So much that the angel had to shake him up and tell him, Hey, <laughs> hey, wake up, wake up. You know why Peter was asleep like that? You know why? He knew the sovereignty of God. He knew that God had control over everything. He's okay. He's okay. It didn't matter how many chains there were. It didn't matter. He was at peace. Great lesson for us, right? To know that in those difficult times, God has everything under control. Amen? And it reminded me of a story that I read a while back of a, 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 a young man that was um, caught as a prisoner of war by a, by, by a German ship. A German ship. And uh, he, was taken, he was taken in as a, as a prisoner, and he was put at the bows of the, of the ship alone. And he knew what was coming. It, it, it was a, a prisoner of war. And he said for the first few days, for the, for the first few days, he said he couldn't sleep. He was just pacing back and forth, pacing back and forth. He was a Christian. But he just did, he, he was worried, did not sleep. So he took out his Bible, opened up to uh, Psalm 121, and he read these words. He, obviously, he read, the, he read the whole psalm. But he came to this verse that I didn't write down. But it says, Behold, he who keeps Israel will not slumber nor sleep. So he closed his Bible and he said, there's no need for both of us to be awake. <laughs> closed his Bible. He said, from that day, that day he slept like a baby, and that day forward, he slept like a baby. God was watching over him. Amen. I love that. I love that. Peter was the same. Peter was, Peter was at peace, but that was because he knew that God had everything. God had everything under control. Amen? <clears throat> okay. So we see, we see all of that, right? Now, it tells us that as he's coming out, as he's freed from prison, he comes to the street and he just realizes, man, this is not a vision. Now, in chapter 10, he had a vision. So he's thinking he's having another vision, but then he, really, he realizes, he says, I'm, I'm free. So he just takes off, he takes off, and he goes to uh, uh, verse 11, tells us, he says, this is what he said in verse 11. Now I'm, I'm sure the Lord sent his, angel and sent his angel to rescue me from the hand of Herod. Verse 12 says that he was, when he was released, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark. Now we're being introduced to Mark. We've been introduced to Mark. And it just tells us his name. Uh, um, um, uh, John was the Jewish name. Mark was the, a Gentile name. 
uh, but he just gives us his name. And he, they give us his name just in relation to his mother. Everybody's, everybody around their, their, their name, uh, the ladies, the name was Mary. Very common name. So this, to distinguish one of the Marys that was there, in particular his mother, they say, well, it was the mother of John Mark. So that's how they distinguish her. But all we see is his name there. Now, the passage doesn't tell us anything about him, about nothing. He's just, it's just his name. <clears throat> and Mark was a, a, another common name too. But anyway, he just gives us his name. So Peter goes from the house, right? Because there's no doubt <clears throat> the church met in a house. But if you go back to verse 5, it tells us, what, what does it tell us in verse 5? In verse 5 of the same chapter, there's, there was fervent prayer going on by the church of God. Fervent prayer. They were praying. They knew he was, the church knew he was in jail. So what were they doing? What we all should be doing, not just the times of trouble, <laughs> not just in the times of trouble, but that should be the main, the main thing that, that we do when those times comes, right? Prayer. So they were getting together. <clears throat> they were getting together in fervent prayer. The, the church was praying, Right? Uh, <clears throat> so they meet, uh, they were meeting in the, in the church, in, in, in this house, in, in, in John Mark's house. Now, again, Peter knows he's been the preacher for 14 years now, 14 years have passed since Pentecost. So he was the, the, the main preacher here, and he knows where they're getting together. So he goes straight to the house where he knew they would be, they would be right? He knocks on the door, and a servant named Rhoda comes to the door. She answers the door, right? She recognizes the voice. She says, who, who is it? Peter said, it's Peter. She recognizes the voice. She, full of joy, full of joy, runs back in there, does not open the door, does not open the door, full of joy. She turns around, runs back in, and she tells the people that are there, Peter is at the gate. Peter is at the gate. What do they tell her? You're crazy. Now, isn't that interesting? Because it says that they were praying fervently. Do you know what the word fervently means? In Greek, it's ethnos. Ethnos. It means stretched out to the limit. It's like when you stretched a muscle to the limit where it cannot go anymore. So they were praying hard. They were praying to the limit. But the interesting thing is that as they were praying, they didn't believe that it could happen. Do you find that interesting? I do. Because that's how we are at times, isn't it? We pray, we pray, but we just don't believe it could happen. A good lesson for us to trust in God that he answers prayer. He answers prayer. So they tell her, you're crazy. <clears throat> you're crazy. But she kept on insisting, no, it's Peter. It's Peter. So they, what did they tell her? It must be his angel. It mu what, what, a, <laughs> what a reasonable, right? It must, be, it must be his angel. Now, the Jewish, the, the Jewish thought that we all had an angel, that everyone had an angel that looked like, like the person. Right? That's, that was a, a belief, belief they had. That's why they, say, that's, that's why they say that. Right? But Peter kept on knocking. Verse 16 says that when they opened the door, they were amazed that God had answered the prayer. So verse 17, tells Peter, Peter tells them, quiet down, quiet down. They were, making a lot of, they were making a lot of noise. Tells them, quiet down. Right? And then he tells them, go tell, them, go tell James what happened. James is the half-brother of, of Jesus. So he leaves to another place from there. We don't, we don't hear about Peter anymore. <clears throat> so here's the first time we see John Mark, right in this house right here. And there is a connection. Peter goes to his house. So there is a connection with Peter here, which it will be a very important point in his life later on. Later on. But all we know about him is his, it's his name right now, right? And right about that particular time that this is happening with Peter, right around that particular time, Paul and Barnabas are 
going to Jerusalem, coming from Antioch, bringing this offering, this, uh, this gift from the churches to help out the people in, the, in Judea, right, for the famine. They deliver the, 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 they deliver the, the, the gift, the, the, the offering, and they go back to Antioch. There were pastors there in, in Antioch. Am I saying it right, Antioch? Yes, thank you. They, uh, they, there were pastors there, so they go back. But verse 25 tells us they decided to take a young man named John Mark. They decided to take this young man, right? And Colossians 4.10 tells us why they took him, why they took him. And Colossians 4.10 tells us he was the nephew of Barnabas. He was the nephew of Barnabas. So that's why Barnabas trusted his nephew. And he said, hey, mom, let's take my nephew. And, and Paul said, let's take him. So he went on. They grabbed him and they took him with him. But Mark, watch this. Mark was not a pastor. Mark was not a prophet. Mark was not an apostle. Mark was none of that. He was none of that. None of that. In chapter 13, 5, says that he was a helper. Nothing else. He was a helper, right? And probably he was a helper because Barnabas comes from the, from the, from the line of the, the, the Levites, knowing that they were, they were to service in the temple. Remember, that's the, uh, that, was their, that was their duty, right? So Mark being his, his nephew, he was coming out of that line of, of the Levites too. He probably was a helper in the, in the, in the temple. So that's, that's the reason they take him. He probably served in the temple, and they, you know, he was used to serving. So they take him. They agree to take him. Now, they're in Antioch, right? They're in Antioch. They're getting ready. They're, they're, they're getting ready for their first missionary journey. They're getting ready. The church of Antioch was ready to, 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 to send them out, right? They were to complete the Great Commission to the, to the uttermost part of, of the world, of the earth. And they were ready to go, right, on the first uh, missionary journey. Uh, uh, so uh, chapter 13, verse 4 tells us they, 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 went, they went out. No. It, well, they, they did, right? They did. Uh, and since Mark had gone with them, they decided to take Mark with them too. So it was Paul, Barnabas, and Mark going on this missionary trip, on their first missionary trip. Now... Here we go. Chapter 13, verse 4, tells us that from the beginning of the journey, difficulties started coming. Difficulties started coming. They, they ran into this uh, Jewish magician named Elimus, right? Elimus, he's resisting them. He's, he didn't want them to, to, to preach. They, want, they wanted to preach the gospel. The prog Proconsul in there. Am I, saying, I don't know if I'm saying that right, but one of the leaders of the town there, he was he he was enjoying the the, the message, but this magician was op opposing them. They didn't want the gospel to come through. So Paul faces them, and I believe in chapter and in, in, uh, verse 11, Paul handles him and he puts him blind for 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 a time. He put. Blinds him for, for a little bit. He calls him son of, son of the devil, he calls him. Son of the devil. Uh, uh, um. Well, it was tough. Lots of, opposi lots of opposition. Verse 13 tells us what happened to Mark. Mark is young. Okay, Mark is young. We know that. Uh, we see the difficulty that, that was going on. And he says that at that particular time, and I got to read this to you, oh, it's, it's there. Now, Paul and his companions sailed from Paphos to, to Perga in Pamphylia, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. Now, that sounds like it's okay. He went. But this was a sad moment. This was a sad moment. Because he doesn't say why, why he left. He just took off. He just got up and left. And it was because he was scared. Fear came. And he says, this is, this, I, I, I can't handle this. So he just got up and took off. And he, went, he didn't go back to Antioch. Antioch was the, one, was the church that, that, that sent them out. Where did he go back? Mom's house. He went right back to mom's house. And obviously, being embarrassed, he was not going back to, to Antioch because the church was there, 
right? He went back to his mother's house. He goes back. He's ashamed. He's weak. He's fearful. So he just goes back home. And then he disappears. He disappears for a little while. We don't hear anything uh, of John Mark. He's not around. But our brother Paul hasn't forgotten that. He hasn't forgotten that. Time goes by. Paul and Barnabas decide to go into their second trip, right? The first trip, now years go by. And, and, and they go ready to go on their, uh, on their second journey. They wanted to go visit the churches they had, uh, they had visited before or they had uh, uh, planted. And they, go, they want to go back to see how they were. So as they were planning the trip, somebody's name came up. Whose name came up? John Mark, obviously Barnabas' nephew, right? So in Acts, uh, um, <clears throat> Acts 15, 36 to 40, <clears throat> tells us that Barnabas wanted to take Mark, but Paul kept insisting, Paul kept insisting, I don't want to take John Mark. Barnabas kept on saying, I want to take John Mark. Paul saying, I'm not going to take him. I'm not going to take him, right? So they kept, they kept on going back and forth. Uh, uh, and <clears throat> verse 38 tells us Paul didn't want to take him. Uh, and it says that, that Paul thought it was best not to take, uh, take, them, take them, take with them, hear this, one who had withdrawn from them. Now that word withdrawn is deserter. If someone who deserts. Right? So we know what happened now. He just got scared and he took off. He didn't want to do, he didn't, he didn't want to, uh, uh, he withdrew a deserter. He deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. So Paul was remembering this and he says, I don't want to take him. So verse 39 tells us the discussion got heavy, got hot. It was, it was, it was very, uh, 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 see, a sharp disagreement. That was a, they were having a, a tough discussion there, right? A disagreement. So sharp that it severed the relationship of Barnabas and Paul. So, so Barnabas decides, I'm going to go with Mark. He goes, to Mark. he goes with Mark to Cyprus, where, where, where Barnabas was from. He, he takes Mark. Paul takes, takes off to the other side. As verse 41 says, that he went to Syria and Seleucia together with, uh, with Silas, to the churches over there with Silas. <clears throat> now, do you think the, the, the decision of Paul was right? Do you think that? I think it was. I think it was justified. It was justified. The, 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 the man got scared. He didn't trust them. He has shown like, lack of courage, commitment, uh, 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 strength. He was a deserter. Tough. Paul was tough. But Barnabas takes off with Mark and disappears for two years. We don't know anything about Barnabas for two years. Mark... He disappears for 10 years. We don't hear anything from Mark 10 years. <clears throat> then suddenly, <laughs> as, as Mark would say in his gospel, gospel, but suddenly he appears and he does appear. He shows up again 10 years later. Go to Colossians 4, 10 and 11. Now Paul is in Rome. When he writes this letter to, 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 to the church of uh, 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 the Colossians, he writes his letter from there. Uh, this is his first imprisonment. He's in jail there, but this is his first imprisonment. He'll go there the second time, but this was the first one. And the first one, he came out, and the second one, he will not come out. So his, his, his imprisonment, imprisonment, he writes Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon. And, and, and Colossians 4.10 says... <clears throat> Articus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. Beautiful. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning who, whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? Ten years later, Paul is in prison in Rome, and who is with him? Who is with him? Mark is with him. <clears throat> it says, about whom you receive instruction, when if he comes to you, welcome him. Something dramatic happened to Mark. 
something dramatic happens to Mark. <clears throat> in Philemon uh, verse 23, at the end of the, of the letter, uh, uh, <clears throat> says, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, Jesus greets you. Christ Jesus, I'm sorry, fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you as do Mark and Luke and some others. He's right by his side. It's amazing. Something happened to Mark. And again, that is his first imprisonment. Years go by, Paul in the ministry, and lands in jail again, right? I'm giving it to you quick. This is his second imprisonment. And he writes his last letter. Now, years go by, and his first imprisonment, who's by his side, this man has, they had deserted him, right? But he set aside. At the end of his ministry, years go by, and at the end of his ministry, this is year 67, 66, 67, 23 years, 22, 23 years later, since we met Mark. Some time had passed, right? From the time that Peter was released from jail, 23 years till now. Paul is in prison again, and he says to Timothy, 2 Timothy 4, 6 to 7, for I am already being poured out as a drink, of, drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Anymore. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, uh, the righteous nudge will, will, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Do your best to come, me. So come, Timothy, I want to see you. Come to me. And then, is that, is that where I, we ended? Well, I think I did. But he tells them, now remember, at this particular time, well, okay, but give, me, give me a chance here. Because at this particular time, Paul is about to get his head cut off. He's done. He's on the brink of death. And verse 9 says this, make every effort to come to me. To, 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 we read that, read that. And then it says this, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me. Same word there. And going to Thessalonica, Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you. Ah, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Don't you find that great? From a deserter, from an attitude of cowardice to one who is helpful, a man of God who is helpful in ministry. That's why I say I could relate to him, right? That's why I say I could relate to him. <clears throat> and I love that. Pick up Mark, bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. I love that. From a deserter to a useful man of God. And in his first imprisonment from that, he had Mark by, by his side a few years later to go by. And now near his death, he says, I want Mark by my side. I want Mark by, by, by my side. And this is a beautiful story of a, a restored deserter, right? And again, that's why it brings me hope. You know why? We, we all know why, because we are not the best. And, and, and we may say, I'm not a deserter, and, and I am not neither. But sometimes we find ourselves weak. And I could relate with Mark. I could relate with Mark. Now the question is, what changed Mark from being a spiritual, weak, fearful man uh, to a man of great courage and tr trustworthy? Uh, 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 trustworthy. And the answer is what I told you in the beginning. His friendship with, uh, with another apostle, with the apostle Peter. Right? Now, we know Peter. We know Peter. He knew about shame, right? We know that Peter knew about shame. Why does he know about shame? Because he failed too. Three times he denied Christ. So he knew what it, if, if, what it was to feel shameful and a failure and all of that. So what Peter did, he grabbed 
he grabbed Mark and he put him under his wing and he discipled him. He discipled him. He took him under his wing. <clears throat> Isn't that beautiful? <clears throat> he knew what it was to be shame. He understood, he understood everything of, of having shame and, and failure. So he does that, right? Uh, and Luke 23, watch, this is beautiful because watch what Christ tells Peter as he fails. Watch, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And now hear this. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Isn't that beautiful? That's exactly what he was doing. That's exactly what he was doing, strengthening him. And I believe, brothers and sisters, that at times the Lord allows us through, to, to go through those failures in our lives, through go through those dips in life for a purpose. Sometimes we look at ourselves and we say, man, what happened? But he does it for a purpose. He allows that for a purpose. So that when we could come out of there, there's always somebody else is going to go through that, right? Somebody else is going to go through that. And we can encourage that believer and say, you could do it. That happened to me. That happened to me. But here I am. You got to get up. Get up and keep moving. And that's exactly what he did with, that's exactly what he did with Mark. Exactly what he did. Grab them, pick them up, disciple him. Beautiful. Beautiful. He discipled him in the faith. How do we know that? Well, Peter says it himself in 1 Peter 5.13. <clears throat> she who is in Babylon. She is the church. I'm not going to go through all of that. But she is the church and Babylon is Rome. It was a code they had. Who is likewise chosen. Sends you greetings and saw this mark. My son. Now he wasn't his biological son. He wasn't. He was his spiritual son, but he had discipled him. He had discipled him, right? And he discipled him from a deserter to a useful, a useful vessel in the hands of God. And you know, I, I, love, I, I love stories like this, and that's why I tell you that it, it captivated me because I could relate to that. It gives me hope, and I think it gives you hope too. Because when we think of these writers of, of, of Scripture, when we think about all these people that, that, that we see, women, men, that we, we see in, in Scripture, sometimes we, we look at them like they're special, right? We read about Paul. Who was Paul? Who was Peter? Who, who was David? And we say, man, they, they, mm. and they, we see them as heroes. And they are heroes. If you read Hebrews 11, it gives you... It gives you the, 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 the heroes of the faith there. So they are heroes. But there are some that we could say, man, I just, I, I, don't, I don't know that I could do that, right? But when I see Mark, when I read about Mark, I said, count me in. I could be that. I could be a, a restored deserter. Amen? And that's why I love this. I love this story. That it, 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 I could relate to that. Come in in that story. A weak, feeble, right? Sometimes high, sometimes low, sometimes in the middle. That's how we are, right? That's how we are. Weak and feeble, discouraged at times. The Lord lifts us, lifts us up, right? Yes, he does. And again, we might say, I am not a deserter. I'm still here, and I'm with you, and I'm with you. <clears throat> but let me tell you, we live in times, we live in times of hostility towards the church. We're living in times where the world, the culture, and everything out there comes at us. And you know what happens to us? We live in a world and a culture full of lies. Do you know what happened to us? We get scared. We get scared. When we face people, when we face people and they tell us about this, about the lies that the world and the culture is coming out, we don't dare to say nothing because we're scared. We don't want to go against the culture. We don't want to be, we want to be political correct. Even in the pulpits, many pastors knowing that the word of God clearly on issues that are sinful, pastors don't want to talk about it. Because they might offend somebody. 
and we get scared and we don't want to speak truth anymore. And we hold back. Would you call that cowardice? Mm, could be. But sometimes we are like that. There's times that we don't speak to, we don't dare to tell our neighbor about Christ. We don't want people to know about what we believe, what our convictions are, because we get scared to go against the culture. Afraid. Afraid. <clears throat> and maybe it's not that. Maybe we just don't think that we're adequate for the work of the kingdom. I know I feel that way. There's many times that I think I, 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 that, that I'm not adequate for that, this, this and that. And maybe we feel that way too. That we're not smart enough, that we are not, we are, we are not smart, intelligent, uh, uh, whatever, bright, all of that. We may feel that way too. I don't know how many of you, I, I, I feel that way. I feel that way at times. And you know, the truth about that is that you are right. You are not bright. You are not intelligent. You are not, you are absolutely right. All of that is true. But that's the beauty, because those are the people Christ chooses to use. Didn't we see that last week? Brother Andrew told us the disciples were what? They were just common men. But that's who Christ chose. And that's beautiful, because that's who we are. And look at what, look what uh, if you read in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 to 29, for consider you calling brothers, that's us. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were noble, uh, of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. That is you and me. Isn't that beautiful? God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Ah, I love it. Because that's you and me. We're not wise. We're not intelligent. We're not bright. But those are the people God chooses. Aren't we privileged? Aren't we privileged? Oh, blessed God. And that passage there in 1 Corinthians tells us that it's not about us. It's not about who you are, but it's about Christ. He is the power of God. Christ is the gospel. It's not about us. It's never been about us. It's what Christ could do in us and through us. Amen? And I love that. Because I'm a weak and feeble man. But he could use me for his honor and glory. And he could use you too. Indeed. I'm going to finish with something I read from an, from an author that I, I love. That he was, he was talking about the authority and the power of God. And I'm going to read it to you. It's a little bit lengthy, but it's, I think it's worth reading. And I'm on time. Hear this. It's only by the strength of our elder brother that we can prevail. He is our champion that goes before us. And we rally to his banner. His will strengthens ours. He makes our courage hold. And he keeps our ranks from breaking. We stand and march forward because he is at work within us, both to will and to work in his good pleasure. We need, more, we need more than a Christ to accompany us. We need a Christ that goes before us. In Christ, God sent us a Savior and a champion, and he goes with us like a dread champion and an awe-inspiring warrior. The 
Philistines boasted on their champion Goliath, but he was slain by a shepherd boy who was but a faint shadow and a crude outline of our blessed shepherd king. With, when David struck the, 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 the giant and cut his head off, the men of Israel and Judah arose, shouted, and pursued the Philistines and plundered their camps. They were timid and afraid till their David delivered them. But in his victory, they were made bold. Since our David has disarmed the rulers, the authorities, and has made a public display of them, having triumphed over them, should we not praise and pursue the enemy until he is plundered? Out of devotion to David, the three mighty men put their lives in jeopardy, <clears throat> broke to the camps of the Philistines, and drew water from the well of Bethlehem. Abishad, the brother of Joab, swung his spear against 300. Benaiah went down and killed a lion and a pit in the middle of the snowy day. And if these men show such devotion to David, should we not show greater devotion to whom David called Lord? Furthermore, their David could only inspire them by his example, but our David can empower us by his insertion of his power, that he is even to subject to himself. That's our David. And he empowers us. So it's not about you. It's not about me. It's him. It's always been him. It's all about him. Not about what we could do, well, what he could do through us. You know what happened to Mark? Do you know what happened to Mark? I'm going to tell you what happened to Mark. One year later after Paul's death, only one year later after Paul's death, the year 68 AD, he went to preach the gospel to Alexandria. The pagans of Alexandria resented him for preaching the gospel. So they placed a rope around his neck. They placed a rope around his neck and they dragged him all throughout the street until he was dead. That is a courageous man. That's why he's an inconceivable hero. Because Christ lifted him up and he died for a hero, died for his convictions died for what he believed, died for his master, didn't care. That is a hero. Amen? Amen. That is a hero. Let's serve him with boldness and courage, my brothers. Let's pray. Oh, blessed Father. Thank you. Thank you for your word. Yes, we do live in difficult times. Not as difficult as a persecution, Lord, that they're killing us. As the book of Hebrews says, we have not suffered unto death or, or, or unto blood. But we get discouraged. We get afraid. Oh, blessed God, strengthen us. Then we may stand for the truth with boldness. Then we may preach the gospel, Lord, with courage. For your honor and glory. For your honor and glory always. For it is you who is working within us. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Amen. It's communion, right? <laughs>